Words, they get golly hard when they jumble Jumping over hurdles, slowing verbs like a turtle Merkin' fool, like squirtle and cake rule Cold blood is with the strong scheme, I'm a boss Flip the coin, toss the straws, I'm out of loss How my brains get busted, slinging letters into couplets Muck up the subjects This is That Got Me Thinking and I'm Ellie Newman My guests today are Lee Linden She's a clinical psychologist in private practice in Oakland and San Francisco. She works with adolescents, adults, and couples, and specializes in women's mental health across a lifespan, as well as the transition to parenthood. She is a supervisor at Access Institute, as well as in the women's mental health track at CPMC, where she teaches a course to expect parents to help prepare them for the identity shifts and emotional changes that parenthood ushers in. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Additionally, Lee has been a clinician with A Home Within for five years. She presented at the Division 39 Annual Conference in 2014 and 2015, and she's been treasurer of NCSPP since January 2015. And I'm reading all of their bios because I want you listeners to realize what a powerful group of women and mothers we have on the show today. Next up is Dr. Mahima Murlideron. Dr. Murlideron is a clinical psychologist. She is past president of the Northern California Society for Psychoanalytic Psychology, a faculty and clinical supervisor, and was a clinical psychologist at the Ann Martin Center in Oakland, California. She is experienced in assessment, supervision, therapy, and testing. She's also been a guest on my show before, so you listeners can go on my website, www.itsrelationship.com, and hear an entire interview with Mahima. My third guest today is Shannon Dubach. She is a relational psychodynamic psychologist in private practice in Berkeley, California. She works with children, adolescents, and adults, as well as providing mediation and co-parenting services. She teaches at the Access Institute for Psychological Services and supervises clinical cases and psychological assessments at the Wright Institute, the Ann Martin Center, and the Women's Therapy Center. She is a founder of Proud Family Services, an organization providing mental health, general health, legal and financial services to LGBT. LGBTQ parents, potential parents, and their families. She has served on numerous nonprofit boards and is currently the president of the Northern California Society for Psychoanalytic Psychology. Okay, and I'm adding this personal stuff, which I didn't for the other two, but I just couldn't help myself. Shannon also has a passion for providing mental health care to at-risk children and children in foster care. Her research focuses on the need to provide long-term mental health care to at-risk children. She received her PsyD from the Wright Institute and her BA and MBA from Stanford University. When not practicing teaching or reading, she enjoys volunteering for nonprofit organizations, raising chickens, cooking, and making jewelry with her two teenage daughters. So it's unbelievable to me that, and it did take some work, that the four of us could actually set a time for us to get together and talk for one hour. We are in different states, but yet we are here and we're going to have a great show. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Great. Thank you for having us. These three women are the creators of ProMom. ProMom offers a 10-week package, which includes one-on-one meetings with the pregnant employee before they go on maternity leave, in-house meeting after birth, and ongoing meetings once the employee returns to work to provide support during the transition back. Also includes meetings with managers, teams, and other uh, elements and aspects of the company as needed to address the needs of the returning mom and create a better support system and culture change. Do I have that right? Yes. Indeed. Okay. What I I was reading some of your material and I want to just have you share that with the audience. What around what percentage of women don't return to work as planned? Um it's about twenty four percent. 
And the number one reason that they cite for um, not returning or returning and then leaving is that they don't feel like there's enough organizational support to help them transition back. And Mahimi, is that a, a large number of women who do actually end up going back and then leaving? Yes, it, that number includes um, number of women who go back and then leave. And so leaving. a quarter of the female workforce. Yeah. Yes. And are, would, these are women who had been working prior to pregnancy. That's right. Yes. These, and we were just, it's funny that you begin with this because we were just discussing that number. A quarter of women who don't go back to the workplace mm-hmm. is a huge number. And it's no doubt, it's no wonder then that, that the number of women who are rising in organizations, it, it, it's a big contributor. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And, mm-hmm. and what percentage at this point, if you guys know of the workforce, are women? Mm. It's women. I mean, I know it's around over 50 is kind of the last number I had heard. That's, that's the last number that I've heard as well. I, don't, I haven't heard anything since then. Have you? I haven't seen anything recent. Though I imagine that in tech, you're going to get a lower percentage of women. And yes. pro-mom at this point, are you focused uh, exclusively on the tech industry? We have, so right now, our plan is to provide this service. You know, we pro- we're providing this service for women in tech. However, part of the program is that the companies that hire us can then um, underwrite our going into the community, underserved communities, and offering uh, counseling therapy, therapy services to, to mothers who are otherwise not being served. And why do you think this number is so high? What was it that got the three of you to get together and say, this is an unacceptable number and, and this can, can be changed? I think, I have to say though, we didn't really um, create ProMom with stats in mind at all. In fact, um, when I initially um, approached Lee and then Shannon, I actually did not have any idea about the statistics out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It came up because of two big reasons. In my mind, I'd been working with a fair number of women, um, particularly in tech, but mostly in corporate settings in my psychotherapy practice, who were either actually terrified of thinking about becoming a mother um, and imagined that their careers would just end. Um, but yet had a deep yearning to be a parent and be a mother um, and just felt like the support available to transition back once they had had a child was not was non-existent and really terrified of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had my own experience of becoming a mother <laughs> and really understanding what they were truly talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I felt like I could get it theoretically, but not as a felt experience. And then I had that experience and then I approached Lee and Shannon because I knew they had um, a common interest in women's um, initiatives, and that's really how we got together and then started finding the stats and creating ProMom. Oh, go ahead, Shannon. Oh, I was just going to say that um, when Mahima approached me, it was such an easy and exciting idea to embrace because for me, I was in the workforce up until I was eight months and three weeks pregnant, And when I was a management consultant and there was absolutely no support when I would have gone back and I decided not to go back. And then a few years later, I realized that it just wasn't an environment that was embracing of 
a work-life balance that I appreciated, and I went in a completely different direction. And were you conscious at that point when you chose not to go back that you were one of the elements or the main element being that you knew you wouldn't be supported, that it wouldn't be a supportive environment to try to do both the job and, and raise your children? Absolutely. My mentors, who were women, were women who, if they had children, weren't able to spend much time with their children and were very, very frustrated but had to make a decision, Are they, were they going to do this or not? And I was I felt very, very fortunate that I could afford not to go back. But it was an obvious choice. You could see, all right, this is a choice I'm going to have to make between the two. To stay in that industry, it was definitely a choice. I think very much, and management consulting is very similar to technology, which is where we're focusing, in that there are limited, there is limited support, so that it definitely feels like a, a choice for a lot of women. I think, too, though, this gets at the ways in which uh, many, and I'll, and I'll say first-time mothers, um, don't know don't know what we're getting into right we have no idea what this what this shift in identity is going to is going to bring what it's going to bring up for us personally what it's going to bring up for us how it's going to shift our ambitions our desires and uh i think that there is this kind of assumption okay i can just do business as usual or can i do business as usual with support or will business as usual be shifting um and so I think that part of this dialogue, too, can include, you know, how do we prepare, um, you know, which is why we, we want to be speaking with women before they go out on maternity leave, before they have their baby, um, to start helping them with the, with the transition. Because it's not only a transition in, um, you know, am I going go to go back, back to work or not, but this, this is an identity shift, a major identity shift that I think contributes to some of that difficulty. And so, Lee, do you think that there is an awareness of that? I mean, Mahima said many of her clients were aware that there was going to be a shift at work, that this is going to be a big change, and they weren't sure that they wanted to have to choose or sacrifice their career in, in ways completely or, or in ways. Do you think that there is also an awareness among the clients you've seen or the people that you've worked with, the women you've worked with, that there will be an identity shift when they have their first child, or is that something that's unexpected? Mahima had said that in her clients, they were aware that with pregnancy, there was going to be a shift in their work experience. They'd either have to sacrifice their career partially or completely, and they weren't sure they wanted to do that. Is there awareness, do you believe, among women these days in the workforce that upon having their first child, there will be an identity shift, or is that a surprise? In my experience, uh, it's it comes as a surprise. I mean, I, I, I try to, and that's not completely true. I think that, um, how can, how can you not think that there's going to be identity shift, right? You're going from kind of an individual to, to with taking care of your individual needs, you know, to this very important dyad, you know, taking care of your child's needs. Um, so I think that there's an awareness, but I don't think there, you know, as Mahima said earlier, it wasn't until she had the felt experience, the lived experience. Um, and so I think part of that is because there isn't much dialogue around the ups and downs of parenting, right? There's kind of an emphasis of everyone says to you when you're pregnant, enjoy every moment of it. You know, when you have a baby, enjoy every moment. And you want to look at them like, what? But enjoy every moment? Are you, are you, are you insane? Sure? I don't think that that's possible. I mean, there's so many incredible moments, but... Um, 
while you're sitting in extreme discomfort. Right, you're, you're bouncing on that yoga ball all night long trying to get your baby to sleep. Um, you know, so I think that there needs to be more di- dialogue about that um, it, as women um, are preparing to have their first child. And that that goes along with um, starting to anticipate what will I need at work? What kind of support will I need? Right. Um, I just, I want to clarify and add that, you know, I think there's awareness that changes are coming your way, but not necessarily in terms of identity change. Um, I think they may be two different things Um, in terms of thinking about your identity as a parent or a mother, which I think comes a little bit later in the process. But the changes that I was referring to particularly, um, I remember having conversations about this worry that, you know, a lot of the deals, especially in tech, in terms of who's getting what project, for example, gets made um, at happy hour after work. Mm-hmm. And what's the implication of that if you are a new mom and you can't wait to get home and you're not going to be hanging out there, you know, in a happy hour trying to get a project, then right. that has an implication on your career trajectory. Um, I think there's a lot of awareness of those sorts of logistical things in terms of the culture of the workplace um, and I and not so much the psychological aspects of identity change per se. Right. I would. I agree. Uh, yeah, I do too. So on the note of culture, what is it that you see as being the main elements that need to change in the work culture to be able to support women in their transition back to work? Mm. Well, we um, have some big ideas about this, but I'll try to, um, I'll try to name at least a few. Um, and I want to start with something that, um, Mark Zuckerberg's announcement of taking two months of paternity leave just a couple of weeks ago, I think he announced yeah. that I was really literally jumping out of my chair, um, excited to hear that because I think for me, one of the, um, the biggest lopsided ways that this is set up is that women do have to take maternity leave. There is, it's not really an option. Um, and yet you could be a new father um, or a new parent, new partner in the process and not have any um, really impact on your career because of that change because you're not really taking the same amount of paternity leave or you're not really dealing with... Um, being away from your job for that long. So I think he's, um, his modeling of this is very exciting to me. And in terms of culture, um, that's one thing that I've noticed is that new fathers don't really take leave. And so it's always going to keep the kind of the um, equation a little bit lopsided. And just to, just to jump in there, I mean, I think one of the, um, one of the assumptions there too is that fathers or, you know, non childbearing partners or other par- or other parents are not uh, needing that bonding time. I mean, they're missing out on a, on a huge experience, right? They're, they're going to, they're going to work and they're being, um, they're not able to have, have that time, that early, that early time with their child and with their partner, which I think is problematic, which is great that Mark Zuckerberg has been modeling. Right. This. And so having brought up Mark, let's do a little compare and contrast. We're going to talk about this later in the show, but now seems like a perfect time um, with Marissa Meyer and the CEO of Yahoo. So yeah. when she had her first child, um, there were articles regarding her first pregnancy in 
Uh, let's see. This is from Forbes. She joins a small but growing group of women leading major public companies in the U.S., numbered a 20 female CEOs out of 500, or 4%. However, she sets a precedent as the first woman to ever take the top position while pregnant. Will having her first baby impact her performance perception the, as the strong leader that Yahoo desperately needs? There were then, at least in that week, another 10 magazines that had articles. Hollywood Life, The Guardian, WSJ, CNET, Telegraph, US Magazine, on, all talking about this pregnancy and, and was it okay? She took two weeks only of maternity right. leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was contradictory comment. Charlie Palacci said this was a non-event. Deborah Kolb, who wrote her place at the table, said this was a big risk. All the focus on every article about her being pregnant. That was the focus, which yes. there would not have been a word if it had been a man and his wife happened to be pregnant, was having a baby even that week. You probably yes. wouldn't have mentioned it. Um, so what is sort of, and you guys all three being in the tech world, your take on what she did with the first pregnancy, the choices she had to make, the kind of environment she was in, and then she's now about to have twins, and she had for the first child uh, built a nursery, and there was a lot of comment and criticism on that. So dive in on mm-hmm. any aspect of that that, that interests you. Well, I, I want to maybe dive in on this and kind of go back to your previous question. I mean, the built-in nursery, right? I, I think that there need to be ways, um, you know, what, what structural changes would we have? More flexibility. Uh, if a, a parent, caregiver, and you take a child to the doctor, be able to do that. This, you know, on-site nursery, that's amazing. Why only for the CEO? Let's, let's have child care at, at work. Um, longer maternity and paternity leaves, Right. I mean, I think that it's interesting that Mark Zuckerberg is taking two months and we're all applauding him as we should. Uh, Marissa took two weeks, two weeks. And she was criticized. And and she was criticized. And I she did so because of the pressures she felt right as a woman in that position of of power. Well, and I think to me, it really speaks to this, maybe a more unconscious underlying bias in our culture that somehow being, becoming a mom means you're not going to be as efficient at your job anymore. Um, And I wonder if, you know, Marissa Meyer's um, example is, it sort of highlights that, that bias that exists. Mm -hmm. And and also it talks about the, the, the culture, because maybe in today's culture, when women go back, it is extremely difficult to be as productive as they were before. But with changes within the culture, maybe that's not so. Actually, uh-huh. actually, I would argue just the opposite. That I think that becoming a parent, uh, the vast majority of people who become parents learn how to multitask Absolutely. in a yes. way that they never had to before. So Absolutely. That, so that when women return to the workforce, they're actually much more productive. Right. Um, because they had just have to be. Mm-hmm. You just have to be to get through the day. It's, I, it's, it's the old saying, you ask the busiest friend to do you a favor if you want it done quickly. Right. Yes. I didn't get my dissertation done until I had a two-year-old and an infant. That's when I was able to finally get my dissertation done when I had a two-year-old and a newborn. But that was when I was able to do it because I had limited amounts of time. So I agree with Shannon that, you know, in fact, I think parents, mothers are uh, extraordinary multitaskers and able to get quite a bit done. I don't know if another personal example is useful, but I think 
for me, I, I had two young kids at home when I was working on my dissertation as a single parent, and I had to be incredibly efficient right. with my time, and I had to be able to make money quickly, so I finished in a little over five years mm-hmm. because I had to. I had no choice, mm-hmm. and so that ability to multitask, it just really gets honed when you're, um, when you're a parent. Also, I just wanted to go back to your um, original question about the culture uh, of organizations. And I think there's been a trend recently about just increasing the number of weeks of maternity leave. Um, I think a lot of companies have kind of gone in that direction, which I think is incredibly useful and important. But I also think about the danger in just offering that is that it doesn't really address what it feels like to be away on maternity leave, um, what kind of emotional support are you re- going to receive um, during that process and then when you return. And we're not really talking about, uh, you know, all women who actually have access to a therapist or are in therapy, etc. So there's, I think there's a lot of need that is not just addressed by increasing the sheer number of weeks. And in fact, I would I think that, um, Mahima, you've said before, and it's worth underscoring that not only that when you start adding more time uh, to maternity leave, the shock of going back is actually greater. And Mm -hmm. so the need to have that support and people who understand what you're going through and can sit and talk to you as you're going through it, it gets higher. That is a very good point. And, you know, and I've heard numerous stories of um, people taking the leave and then choosing not to have any contact at all with their managers or teams during that time. And then they come back to sometimes a completely different team or they find that four other people on their team have been promoted to positions that they're, it's going to take them much longer to get there. Or there are all these changes that are made on your behalf that you haven't actually been a part of. So the research around that, the research shows that those women who do maintain some sort of contact uh, whether it's professional or personal with, you know, if they have a friend at, at work or someone that they're friendly with, uh, for those women who maintain that contact over the course of their maternity leave, they do have an easier return upon a return to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, right? If you maintain your engagement within the system, you can see it among just couples that are raising a child, that if one person is sort of with that particular system the whole time and the other one is gone, they come back in every time. It's a reintroduction as to, well, how do things work here? Where do I fit? Where's my place? And I hadn't thought about that before with maternity leave, that by leaving, the longer you're disengaged from that system, of course, the more difficult it would be. You're reengaging and rather keeping your relationship with it going in a new form for the yes. time that you're on maternity leave. So with that in mind, with the three of you, what are your objectives with the ProMom program? What do you want to solve for and how are you solving for it? Mm-hmm. I think by and large, what we're attempting to implement is how do we address the individual um, mother's needs as well as how to educate and help managers and the whole organization really think about um, why this would be a true benefit to their employee um, is supporting them emotionally, but also really taking a look at what their culture, current culture is um, and how to really be supportive of not just women, but mothers in particular. Um, and like Shannon said, really help, help the mother bring her new identity and actually have a sense of efficacy and um, 
feel like they have a lot to offer mm -hmm. and not just a kind of a liability factor that needs to get accommodated um, because of their maternity process. Right, right, right. And, I, and so how are you doing that? Are you working with their expectations? Are you teaching skills? What's the solution? Well, I, I think, um, and feel free to jump yeah. in. Yeah. I think our plan really is to help the mother think about, um, even before going on maternity leave, for example, um, how much contact would that person actually like, um, identify people on the team who they may want to continue to stay in touch with, um, as well as actually thinking about the process of new motherhood identity, right. um, what to expect. And uh, I mean, I'm, uh, Shannon and Lee can uh, definitely attest to this. There is a pretty big fantasy aspect to what you think motherhood is going to look like, yes. um, which is lovely. And then you really come to the reality of it and have not having slept for days at an end, that fantasy quickly disappears. Um, and opening up space to the fact that this is a lovely process and a new part of their life, but also that there could be feelings of intense hatred, mm -hmm. um, really wishing that maybe life was better without this new change. Mm -hmm. um, but I've found that this is why new mommy groups are so effective and successful is that mothers come together and can talk about all these feelings, not just the positive ones. And and I think, too, some of the organizations have introduced these mothers' groups. But what we've found is that the problem with that is that there's such a competitiveness that a lot of moms aren't comfortable opening up about what's really going on for them and their ambivalence mm -hmm. and the, the differences between their fantasies of how they were going to manage it all and what the reality is. So that it really necessitates... Um, one-on-one -on -one contact with someone who understands what they're going through, which is why we're, we have really focused on providing one-on-one -on -one support and not a group. Uh, groups are fine, but, but not that is the primary way of helping moms to get through this. Right. And the one-on-one the -on -one approach, I think, is really useful um, to consider because I think about the temperament of the new baby, and that's not, that's not going to look the same across the board. And so there are very specific needs when one is making decisions about childcare arrangements, for example, um, or postpartum issues, that emotional issues that tend to come up. Um, and along with this one-on-one -on -one piece, we, we also want to offer um, support and psychoeducation for um, teams and managers and organizations on the whole um, to really think about what this, educate them about the process of motherhood and what to expect, um, etc. I'm, I'm just going to uh, leap away from the concrete for a second yeah. um, and, and hone, hone in on, you know, you said the process of motherhood. I think one of the things that's so difficult about the transition back to work is that you're in the midst of this huge transition. And I think that there is a general assumption that baby's born, baby is arrives to you through adoption or comes out of your body, and all of a sudden, instantly, you are mother and you know what to do. And we don't expect our babies to come into this world knowing how to walk, crawl, talk, right? We, we allow them to learn, and they learn through interaction with us. And I, I emphasize this to my clients and in my class so often that, that you as a parent are growing into that role, right? So that I now, mother of a five-year-old and a three-year-old with a 
21-year-old stepdaughter, am feeling very differently as a mother than I did as mother of a five-week-old, right? Or mother of a two-year-old and a, and a one-week-old. And Lee, that's connected with what Mahimi was saying, I think, because we all have different experience, different time frames, and different children. So if you happen to be the mother of a child who right off the bat sleeps through the night, seems to have an easygoing personality, is eating well, takes to a schedule, you're going to have a very different experience than from the mother who has not slept in a week, hasn't showered, her child's colicky, crying all the time. That's right. And yeah. And I think you are alone, very alone in, in each of your experiences. And with the, on top of that, the thought of then trying to balance whatever you're experiencing with going back to work, it's, it's um, incredibly stressful. Yes, that's right. And I yeah. think, you know, as Shannon was saying, that there are some, are some companies that have started these groups. The, again, groups are really great. And I think in some ways they have to be somewhat self-selected. Like, I don't want my patients that I'm seeing who have a colicky baby or who are having trouble nursing or have decided not to nurse or have postpartum depression, I don't want them in a group of moms or parents with babies who are sleeping through the night, who are those easy kind of easy babies. Because a mother will hear that or feel that or a father will hear that and say, what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm terrible. What's wrong? Especially if you're already in a competitive environment to begin with. I mean, it seems a little counterintuitive. We're going to throw these people. I understand it's a nice gesture, but you're going to throw these people into this room who are already in, in many companies that aren't the most collaborative in a competitive sort of structure. And we're going to want them to bear their vulnerabilities and weaknesses and failures and compare themselves to the people that are around them. It doesn't sound like, like the most successful set up, but yet the companies are trying to do something, trying to do something with longer maternity leaves, trying to do something with these groups. What has been the reception so far? Are they interested enough and see the value enough to be really willing to understand the dynamics that's really going on and how they can best support and solve the problems? I can say that I've sort of been leading our marketing Mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that I'm realizing is that there's a lot of interest in it and most people that I talk with readily agree that there's a big need. Um, the part that seems a little bit tricky and can raise the defenses is this idea of culture change within the organization, which also means you have to really closely look at what is not working. Um, and I think that can feel very threatening. Um, but so far my experience has been that there is a lot of interest, but they also, each company wants to customize this product to meet their unique need. Um, and that takes, you know, a process of just meeting several times and doing a more thorough needs assessment of who their demographic is. And do you feel like the interest is to being interested because they want to do the right thing and be politically correct? Or is the interest bottom line? Is the interest and awareness that more than half of our workforce are women, um, they are valuable assets to this company. We want to support and make them as productive as possible. W- what's your sense? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think there's a huge wave right now of women's issues and putting that on the forefront. And in the process, everybody does want to look good, like they are doing the right thing. Um, what I find, though, is when I've met with um women managers in particular, I think their desire to implement something like this is very different from just looking good. Um, They've Mm -hmm. all been through it or some version of it. And I think there's a real desire to offer it to folks in a way that could be helpful and 
create more of a sense of community for women at work. Um, Shen? Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that I think um, the challenge that we are up against is that a lot of organizations want to be able to implement something that's big and, and takes care of the problem. So, in some cases, there's a desire to put childcare in the workforce, and that's going to take care of everything. And what is it that we can, that not we, but that, what is it that the organization can come up with that's going to be a panacea? And our approach is very much that it has to be one on, a lot of one-on-one work and, uh, and a combination of things that's harder um, for organizations to contemplate and to, uh, and to see having a huge impact. And that the culture has to change to support a system that's different. Yes. Right. Well, and, and we're talking about, you know, work culture, but I mean, the larger American culture needs to change, right? I mean, uh, culture of motherhood, you know, we're talking about the fact that, that mothers do get together and, and start judging themselves or others. Um, you know, that, that there is this uh, shame that, the United States or kind of culture at large places on Marissa for taking two weeks, right? Well, maybe she had someone who was there who was taking wonderful care and that was what she needed to do, right? That there's so much judgment and, it, and it, it's revolved around kind of this, what is held culturally as kind of the ideal mother. Yes. And I think that that really needs to be opened up and addressed. I mean, and I think you're just bombarded with ideas about who a good mother is Mm -hmm. and how that's defined. And I'm actually thinking about a prenatal yoga class that I went to. um, And I knew right off the bat that if if I needed an epidural, I was going to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt incredible shame in even sharing it in that space. um, Just because it felt like, oh, my God, I was choosing this horrible option. um, in the eyes of others. And I just, and that is a cultural message that yep. I think we're all bombarded by. And, and that's just the beginning and one of many. You can't even be on Pitocin because then you're on the road to an epidural and then you're on the road to a cesarean and that's failure. It's not that then your child won't be born healthy. It's yeah. you as a mother have already failed and your child hasn't even come into the world yet because exactly. you took a painkiller. Yes. And I think it's gone from then, you know, are you sleeping with your child or not? One's success and one's failure, depending on who you talk to. Are you breastfeeding or not? How long are you breastfeeding for? I mean, it begins the judgment and the shame and the comparison to it escalates. Another element of the intern was very apparent. The mommy wars. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a part-time working mom? Are you baking the goods that you brought for (laughs) the school celebration or did you buy them at Costco and put them on the table? Mm -hmm. Um, Every time it's a comparison. And I'm just now reading uh, Shonda Rhimes' book, The Year of Yes, and she does a accurate and hilarious analysis of the mommy wars and that we've got to adopt a mentality of no mom left behind that we are going to support one another instead of shame and criticize and that we're all doing the best we can and that being a mother is something that all mothers do whether you have a job or not it's incredibly challenging and taxing and you must be talented to perform it Mm -hmm. But the answer is not to 
look at moms in, that are, are staying at home and say, oh, yeah, it's a job. Of course it's a job, but it's not the same as a job outside the home. And we all make different choices for different reasons, and many people don't have choices to make in that situation. That's and right. so do you see that starting to change, the mommy war starting to fade? Um, or what do you think you can do with ProMom to help minimize that shaming and comparison? I mean, I think, unfortunately, you know, we live here in the Bay Area, and there is, there's a lot of emphasis on certain ways of parenting. And I hear it in the transition to parenting class that I teach. And I hear it in the clinical work that I do. You know, oh, if I, I think I'm going to have a home birth. I, I don't want to. I'm a little worried about it, but I, I think I'm going to have a home birth. Or, you know what, I can't actually deal with cloth diapers. We're, we got these compostable diapers and we're just going to, I think it's okay. And, I, you know, there's just, it's like so much pressure. Um I try and in in my class, in my clinical work, in my conversations, I, I try to instill a, look, you do what you have to do, right? If your baby sleeps in its, in its car seat on top of the dryer, well, for God's sake, put your baby in the car seat on top of your dryer, right? That's okay. If you need, if you, if you want an epidural, that's great, right? You need to do what works for you and for your baby and for your family. And I think as in pro mom that we can do that individually in our individual work with the, with the mothers that we're seeing. Um, and we can do it in a larger, uh, systemic way with the, the and, managers. And how do you do it systemically? What's the approach to working with the management and, the, internally in the companies? Well, I think, first of all, there's, at least in my opinion, there's actually lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that there are popular notions of what mother, a new mother looks like or et cetera, but there isn't actually the knowledge that one needs to have a more empathic stance towards who's coming back to work. Um, and I think it should start with education. Mm-hmm. And I really think that there's a sort of a dire need for that. Um, that is one of the aspects of ProMom, um, is that we, we're happy to include that aspect of the work, too. I was just thinking that maybe one of the things we should build in is uh, an experiential for the managers. You know, every uh, week, uh, I'd like you to set an alarm that goes off every two hours. Wake up. You have to be awake for 20 minutes and then go back to sleep. And, and just, but then, you know, come back to work and, and do what you need to do. I, mean, yeah. I think that if, if like the, everyone could have that experience, there might be a little bit more, more it's empathy. It's like the, giving the teenagers an egg to carry around for a week. Right. Yes. You Ex- like to have a baby. Right. It's exactly. Same kind of thing. And do I, you see that it's changing? Are fathers being involved in a different way, which then leads the majority of managers who are men to start to have a more of an appreciation or awareness of what women are going through? Sometimes. Yes to the first part. Yes. I, I, I am seeing more and more fathers or other mothers like really part, right? Really part up Mm -hmm. there. They're, they're washing diapers or doing bottles. Mm -hmm. They're changing, but it's not translating into the, the organization. Shannon, you were going to say something. I think I interrupted uh, you. Yeah, and I, I killed your thought. So for the moment, to see if she remembers it, she did. I'm going to just say this is KDPI 88.5 FM Ketchum. All right, Shannon, you got it? Yes, I was um, thinking about the discussion of is being at home a job or is being at work a job? And I think part of the 
the systemic or the cultural change that we need to make is moving away from that competition mm. or a combination and thinking more about how are we going to raise, how are we going to have as families successful, happy, healthy families and children and what combination of things works for your family so that it isn't that there's an either or, it is how are you going to have how are you going to have the combination that works for you? And, and how are you going to have both, right? That's the work-life balance question. I was just at the market this morning, and I saw a, a Us magazine with Adele on the cover. And it says, Adele chooses family over fame. Well, I don't know, because my daughter and I have been listening to her new album like 25 <laughs> times in the last three days. I think it's pretty successful, and I think fame is pretty much on the rise. And yet this idea to frame it that way, that we have to choose, that these are two separate worlds, and you can either be in one and be successful, and you can't be both. I mean, in a way, I guess that's better than what I grew up with. I think I'm kind of a straddler. I'm baby boomer, but I'm at the last bit of that. And so I grew up where my sisters had to wear dresses to school. And then when I was in law school, it was the first class of 50-50. But we came out thinking, you're supposed to do everything, and you're supposed to do it really well. And I think we've all suffered, my generation, tremendously from that, because that is impossible. We have now all learned. And feel shame everywhere all the time. Because mm-hmm. if you're succeeding in one... guilt. If you're succeeding in one area, you're failing in another. And so... Then it comes to choosing. Well, I've got to choose. So, of course, the mommy wars because, well, we chose this, but I'm envious because I went to school for 20 years and I really would like to use my talent, skills, and ability in the world and be powerful and be engaged and do all these other things. So I think that's, to me, the explanation. I just thought of it now, so I'm really proud of myself, of the mommy wars. It is my generation that created those because we got stuck in a really hard place. We were a rock and a hard spot. And, and so it's the culture that really, to allow people to be successful for what you said at the very beginning of the show, to create a culture where it's integrated. You don't go from maternity leave and disengage, go to your other world, and then come back into this work world. Yes. And, and part of that is that we have this need to judge, and there's a winner, mm-hmm. and you can't instead of the winner or the winners being the people who find the right combination that works for them and leads to a content family environment, Mm -hmm. we have a winner. The winner is the CEO or the winner is a stay at home mom who makes always muffins from scratch. It's Mm -hmm. just, there are, we have this way of needing to be the best and the way to be the best is to dedicate yourself to it. When really we need to think, be thinking about, well, what's the best combination mm-hmm. that helps a family be the healthiest and most right. content they can be? Yes. And that's going to be a unique solution it for is. each family. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and how do you see this program working? I mean, that just to have had that conversation with a mother, a, a to-be mother, while she's thinking about how she's going to manage it all, I think would be life-changing. You know, even if it were an hour-long conversation to sort of be able to touch on these topics, have you thought about this, how are you feeling like that, what, what's sort of the plan as to, as to the approach and, and how this best works? Well, all three of us have a clinical psychology background, and so I think the way we, we envision approaching this is bringing that therapeutic lens and skill um, as we're meeting with 
mothers, mm-hmm. um, listening, not just to what's being said in the room, but also picking up on what's not being said. Mm-hmm. And I think often about, I think it's really powerful to, to in fact, confront one's own biases in the process, mm-hmm. um, including what you've internalized as gender roles, gender norms, um, especially when you haven't allowed yourself to actually have a fluid range of and be on a spectrum yourself. Right. I mean, things like that. Right. So I think it, this is, is, on the one hand, it is about maternity, but I actually really think that it is about a, helping someone through a particular developmental stage and moment. Mm-hmm. in their life and it so happens that they're also at the brink of becoming mothers mm-hmm. but that's only one aspect of it I think would I don't know if you would both no agree. I I absolutely agree and that it's um as as we're talking focusing right now on mothers as mothers have their ch- their their babies as Lee has said that their identity shifts and they're working with people to help them to to get that shift into focus requires one-on-one conversation um that it isn't something that someone can just tell you okay well you're gonna have a baby and this is going to be your new definition of success it's just not like that it's very unique to the individual i think the building into that um uh you know one of the things that happens when you become a parent is all the things that you have previously done to take care of yourself kind of go flying out the window Mm. um I think it's really useful for every uh, about to be parent to make a list of the things that they do as an individual to recharge, to make a list of the things that they do as a couple um, to stay connected, put that list in a very prominent place (laughs) and uh, leave it up there for when you have your baby. Now you're not going to be going on the three hour hike. Maybe you're going to go on a 15 minute walk, but really being able to, um, to, to have a, a reference, right? Okay, this is, right. this is what I, I need for myself. You know, to kind of ground as this identity, as your identity is shifting, to be able to ground yourself in some of the things that you've relied on in the past. So I think it's, it's, it's bringing that kind of more, maybe more concrete work into the um, psychological exploration and insight. Right. So let's talk just specifically a little bit about how the program works from the employer's perspective. What are they committing to um, as far as resources and time? And is it feasible for the three of you to go and provide pro mom to the entire tech industry? No, it's not. (laughs) I think um, really our focus right now is to, be testing our product. Um, I've quickly kind of embraced a more business um, oriented language even. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> but, um, but really, I, I, I mean, I, we realize that our pro- what we have to offer isn't exactly scalable if we want to take it really big. But at the same time, I actually think that maybe even having a small um, maybe one or two companies that want to really embrace this model and give it a shot. We want to really start small and see um, what we could do um, to then scale it. We're not at that point yet. 
But I'm sure and it so, is scalable. You just haven't figured out how it's going to scale yet. Well, right. I, and I think it, it's pretty easily scalable in that we have this product that could go into a lot of different organizations. And so, be- so that's what I want to hear the specifics on. What exactly is the product? If someone says, yes, we want, if you go and talk to Zuckerberg tomorrow and say, we well, can see you really care about this. Um, and he takes on ProMom. What, what is he signing up for? So this would involve 10 meetings total. Um, so let's say someone has just announced that um, they're pregnant and is planning to take maternity leave. Then that per- that employee gets um, synced up with one of us um, and we will offer 10 meetings um, from start to finish. So that includes meeting with the person while they're just thinking about maternity leave um, and helping create some space for how they imagine this process is going to go, what their preference would be, what kind of um, ongoing um, communication they want to keep open with the organization Mm -hmm. to then um, actually helping. One of the cool features is that we want to really do an in-home um, visit once the child is born, mm-hmm. um, baby's born, um, to help. First of all, we know from our own experience that getting out of your house with a newborn or finding childcare and all of that to go to someone else's office is incredibly difficult. Well, once it used to be a simple thing to do. So we want to be able to offer that in-house support um, to talk about specifics around what does it feel like to wake up not having slept for days at an end. Um, how do you imagine this might impact when you do go back to work? What is the temperament of your child? Um, Childcare options, which of course you would have thought about even before you had the baby, if you're planning to go back to work. Um, so, and then a series of one-on-one meetings once the employee returns to work that will happen at work um, to help them maybe put some words to feelings of guilt, for example, of what does it feel like to leave your baby at home, um, the struggles around that and the emotional impact. Um, and along with that, so the the organizational culture piece, that is going to look pretty different with each team and manager, but that's something that we definitely want to include as part of the process of setting up one-on-one meetings with the team. And, um, and then we will also be offering a follow-up post what do you want to call it like a feedback meeting well and and we want to make sure that the transition so um you know we'll have this pre pre pre-leave meeting um home visit then we'll have uh six or seven at work sessions and then following uh, two months following the end of those sessions we'll have a we'll have a follow-up to assure that the transition is going reasonably well and smoothly so that really is a description of the the one-on-one work that we're proposing for the moms who are returning to work. Alongside that, then, is the whole educational piece. Yes. And I think what we were thinking of was we will go in and understand the employee satisfaction or the parent satisfaction right now to determine what's working and what's not working in the organization and then identify any remaining issues that are not being addressed for women who are returning to the workplace, to the office, um, and propose approaches to to making those changes. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a mini assessment of what's going on in the organization that works, what doesn't work, and what do we think could help. And a lot of that will, a lot of those, what we think could help will be around education, both psychoeducation and uh, 
and thinking about other ways of educating managers about what it's like to be a parent coming back. But also then, again, organizational changes um, that are going to improve the ability to to provide an environment where moms want to stay working in their organization. Because moms are good employees, man. We've got a lot to offer. (laughs) Well, I was going to say just at the beginning of the show, we were joking because we're doing a Skype call and there's three of them and it's hard sometimes to navigate who's going to speak when or wants to speak. And in about two seconds, they came up with a solution collaboratively without even really speaking to each other to grab a pen and use it as a pretend microphone. And I thought, yes, you want women on your team. You want women in your company. We can problem solve and do it quickly. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about that, Shannon, because I'm thinking about, and it makes me crazy to even have to ask this question, but I think it's valid. The, The male reaction, you know, there still is quite a bit of conflict. We got the mommy wars and we've got the gender wars still. And there are insecurities and vulnerabilities coming up there. Um, Are you anticipating sort of a male reaction to this of, oh, you know, why these women getting all this extra stuff? Yeah. So, so uh, maybe I'm going to twist this on the question on its head a little bit. Um, In my mind, one of the questions is how are we going to convince organizations that this is really going to help them? Whether and, and so rather than a male-female question, there are going to be plenty of women who are going to say, why would we spend our money doing this? Um, they just have to, women who have decide to have children just have to buck up and work harder. And, and I think one of, our, one of the most compelling things for us will be to be able to point to the cost involved every time you lose a mom who is returning to the workforce, you have to go out and you know, work with the recruiters and bring someone else in. And there was one figure we we saw that it was over a hundred thousand dollars every time you tried to replace someone who was in management. Well, that's that's the kind of thing that's going to be compelling. And if it whether it's male or female, if people are saying, "Why are we wasting our time on this?" You can point to some to tangible results that can get them to at least consider making some changes. That 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 really the mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And maybe that's telling that, you know, in, in response to that question, you know, we're aware that that's what they well, care about. we're going to, I mean, maybe it's not, maybe people, it, maybe individuals have, you know, experience with this and care more or less about it. But, you know, I think one of the most effective ways of addressing it at an organizational level is, is through addressing the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still in many areas a double standard. I know I was discussing with a friend, um, uh, Marissa Myers Nursery, and they sort of said, "Oh, well, you know, she built she she built herself a nursery. Like this was just outlandish and excessive." And I thought to have this perk, prestigious perk, and I thought, "Well, I don't hear anyone saying something about the plane, the private jet, or the basketball right. court." Or right. any of these other things, the men's own bathroom that they need to have and all the things that a male in that position might decide that he needs or deserves. There's, there's not a conversation. She also paid for the nursery herself. And it was her solution to this obvious problem of how does she balance these two, two worlds. So with, with uh, Marissa Meyer, there seems to be a double standard that still exists as far as women and men in positions of power and being successful and what's acceptable for each gender in that role. 
Right. Is that something that you have been coming up against when you have been promoting your program within these companies? And is it something that you're mindful of when you do um, present it? Are, are you sort of conscious of how to deal with these double standards and there's still this sort of gender wars along with the mommy wars? Huh. Yeah, you know, in my mind, the only way to address that in in, a, in the very short run is, is, as I mentioned before, being able to show that you're going to lose a lot of women if you don't get rid of all of these double standards or some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind... Uh, evening. Uh oh, did we lose you? Nope, you're good. Oh, okay. Um, it seems to me that it's a very long process. I mean, you can't. You know, you say, "Whoa, there's this double standard. It's not okay to have a nursery, but it's okay to have a jet." And in my, I go, "Wow, that's a nice way to put it." Um, and that's the kind of thing that people need to hear over and over and over again. I'm not sure that our program is I, I, our program can introduce those ideas mm-hmm. and those concepts and get people talking about them. Right. Mm-hmm. But it takes a it takes and it takes a while. And it takes a lot of public conversations. Right. And I mean, and I also want to say, I think by and large, how I envision this our program going really is at a more mid level. Um, within the organization itself. And I think the kinds of things that you're um, referencing, Ellie, I, I, there's a huge amount to be thought about the privilege that exists sure. depending on where you are in the organization as a woman. And I think it's really what you're bringing up um, highlights that for me. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to have access to a nursery or creating a nursery. No, right. That would be nice. You know, and, and not everyone might want that as their solution either. Yes, right. exactly. Right. That could be more stressful for some people to have the baby right there and more distracting. They may prefer to, to se- segregate their, their home life and work life more. They, they really are individual choices. Right. Well, so I'm so excited about your program. I'm so excited for all of you. I want to end with this show. Maybe each of you give me your sort of ideal vision of where you and this company will be in a year and then maybe uh, five years. Mm-hmm. Who wants to start? Well, I can, I can start. I... Um, First of all, I have to say I'm really committed to this cause, but more than anything else, I'm getting to do something with two very good friends and having a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, I want to see this implemented in as many places as possible, but I also feel like just the process of putting this together has helped me think very Mm -hmm. deeply about a lot of issues that I care about. Um, In five years, I really want us to have made a significant impact in at least the tech culture around us um, with regards to this issue. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Oh, I was just going to say, I absolutely, um, in my mind, in a year, if we have a program that is successful in in meeting some of these goals that we can um, point to and that it takes off, whether it's us or anyone else or other organizations that's fine but the idea that we could start to create change in these organizations in a fairly straightforward way would mean that in five years we could see this kind of a program in a lot of different places whether it's us or others and that would be incredibly gratifying creating a new normal (laughs) yeah creating a new normal yeah yeah it's true and you've begun we'll end with that because you've clearly begun you're beginning the conversation the dialogue and 
the actual system for it to start happening. So things fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Ellie. Well, say, thank you so much, you three, for joining me. I hope you come back on the show again. How the progress is going.